You're tuning in to the Wild, Weird, and Sometimes Normal podcast. If you have a story or a guest recommendation that you think others need to hear, email me at wildweirdandsometimesnormal at gmail.com. Let's get this started. Alex and Brett, kick it! Wild. And sometimes normal. On this episode, I'm joined by Adrian Prieto of Hosmer Winery. He's the director of marketing and outside sales for this Finger Lakes Vineyard. My wife and I love going to the Finger Lakes every year. And this past year, we stopped at Hosmer. Adrian was the host for our tasting, and when I reached out to them to see if someone wanted to come on and discuss their vineyard, it was cool that Adrian was the victim. Uh, I mean, guest. A great conversation about the Finger Lakes region, surrounding wineries, why their wine is so different from the New Jersey wineries that are near me, and of course, some fun conversations about what lurks in the upstate New York mountains. If you've never been to the Finger Lakes, and you like nature and wineries, you should go. And while you're there, stop into Hosmer for a tasting, ask for Adrian, and tell him you heard him on Wild and Weird. Enjoy the show. Are you looking for CBD for your pet? My friends at Pure Pet Wellness have what you need. They use the highest quality ingredients. While other companies may use synthetic oils in their CBD, Pure Pet Wellness uses organic ingredients, organically grown hemp, organic coconut oil, organic shea butter, organic beeswax, and that's just to name a few. A family-owned and operated company that also offers fast shipping. Go to purepetwellness.com for all your pet's CBD needs and use the discount code WILD and WEIRD at checkout. That's WILD, A-N-D, WEIRD. Treat your animal right. Go to purepetwellness.com. Are you looking to buy a home in New Jersey? Escape the city and move to the suburbs? Finally purchase that vacation home on the lake or down the shore? Maybe you're one of the lucky ones who are retiring and moving out of state. If so, let me help you. Keller Williams and the Real Estate Professional Group have what you need to make your goals come true. Reach out and have a conversation with someone who will put you first. Contact Brian McCoach at 856-321-1212 or email McCoach at kw.com. Welcome to another episode of Wild, Weird, and Sometimes Normal. I'm your host, Brian, and today my guest is Adrian Prieto. He's the Director of Marketing and Sales at Hosmer Winery in the Finger Lakes. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, man, I really appreciate you coming on. So we yeah, met definitely. a couple of weeks ago. I brought my wife up there. That's our, our new little anniversary trip we like to go. We've gone two years in a row. I don't know what took me so long to get up there because it is absolutely beautiful. Anytime you can mix in, you're just surrounded by mountains. There's lakes everywhere, giant, beautiful lakes, and then great hiking, waterfalls. You do that in the morning, and then you go jump around at wineries and just taste <laughs> all different wine. Like, what is better in life? I mean, yeah, it's a, a large reason I haven't moved in you know 20 years or however long it's been. But yeah, and I can't, I can't, you know, I can't disagree with any of that. So please come visit. <laughs> How did you get this dream job and are you hiring? <laughs> we're, so, A, yes, we're always hiring. Pretty much any 
winery or hospitality, anything is always hiring, just as an FYI. Let's see. So I've been here a long time. Been pretty much drinking the wine as long as I've been legally able to from the entire region. And before then, who knows? We're not going to get into that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And years ago, I had worked in a different field, but was doing some freelance writing in wine, some blogging, some kind of guest blogging of sorts. And, you know, in the past couple of years, I moved into wine full time. And like a lot of other jobs, it really is networking, who you know, etc. So the winemaker at Hosmer, I used to work with her husband, her partner um, at another winery. So she is the one essentially who ended up recruiting me to to Hosmer. And so they combined a couple of different roles that other people were doing to create my role to be a, a couple of different things. I love it. I can't complain. I love talking about wine in case you didn't notice when you came to visit. But yes, it's a beautiful location. Luckily, the wine is great. So there's it's big win-win for sure. We had a lot of fun. We came in to your place. We were there yeah, maybe like an hour, hour and a half. So kind of like a typical tasting and you know, you kind of bounce around. If you're having a good time, probably like an hour, hour and a half. You know, sometimes you haven't, you're like, oh, time to go. Like, let's, let's wrap this up quickly. <laughs> but uh, you guys were a great host there and you were very informative of things that were happening. And I would say probably the the biggest thing is like non-judgmental. Some of the places you go into, like everyone's friendly. So that's great. But sometimes if you don't have the right answer, they kind of just look at you a little sideways. But it's also like, this isn't my job like you're doing it's like i'm probably not gonna have all the right answers and i didn't pick up the hints of like apple crisp with like a touch of nutmeg and i apologize for that (laughs) like you know you were very great at at doing that and so my biggest question for you it's like Mm -hmm. the ninth biggest question we had had some questions before this started recording and all of them were big questions (laughs) how do you walk into a winery as, as a guest and somebody who you know enjoys the occasional glass but like, you know, they're not married to a label. They're not, they're not married to a, a type of, it's not a brew, but you know, a, a type of, yeah. you know, it's not the Pinot, it's not the Pinot Noir. It's, it's not the Chardonnay. They just like to taste everything. How do you walk in and not come off as this like complete newbie, this complete schmuck? <laughs> I think the largest thing I would consider is just to kind of give just a little bit of information about where you are. So as an example, I had some people come in yesterday and I was just asking them, you know, what they would like to do, basically, taste, grab a glass, et cetera. And the first thing they told me is that, A, they had never been there before, which changes everything for me. Because if I know you've never been here before, you know nothing about the wine, you know, you don't know what the options are, et cetera. So just to give a little bit more from your end quickly about, A, if you've been there, if you haven't, if you, even if you've tried the wine before. And then on top of that, if you know... I think the next big thing would be to kind of let people know what you like or don't like. Even something as simple as I like dry whites or I like reds or I like sweet wine. You like what you like. There's no right or wrong. Because in our case at Hosmer, we really do have everything from sparkling wine, white wine, red wine, dry white, sweet white, sweet red. We have everything across the spectrum of what anybody could like. So a lot of times, even people say, oh, you know, I'll let you drive or I'll let you navigate. You you decide for me, like, well, I'm not going to tell you to try a sweet Riesling if you hate sweet wine. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's a lot of times just I, a couple of little tidbits that you could drop about, A, just if you've been there before, even you had the wine, and then B, just general preferences, you know, across the spectrum. If you really just like sweet wine, that's fine, but don't tell me to, you know let you try everything if you only like the sweet stuff, you know? 
So just a yeah. little bit, I think, from the other, from the consumer side. Um, and I, like I said, I've I've been going to many, many wineries even before I worked in the wine industry, largely just as a function of living here for quite a while. So I think that's probably the largest part to me, just a, just simple, you know, what you like, what you don't like, been there before or not. Okay. So you have to give a little to get a little, but it also helps yeah. then that if the person who is helping you on the other side has a personality and can interact. So I think that's, you know, a little bit of a <laughs> you know, great working together, great teamwork, but it, it is hard yeah, if that- you... You should know. I mean, hey, if you've never had wine, then like, great. Like, welcome to the Finger Lakes and the winery. But like, everyone's probably had wine if they're going there. And it's not like, yeah, you know, oh, I like beer. Give me whatever. And like, somebody's going to give you, you know, a, a Guinness, which is like dark and heavy. And then someone else is going to give you a red dog. And you're like, am I at a frat party or whatever? But like, like, neither of those <laughs> are probably going to be, you know, maybe your main choice. Right. You just give me whatever wine that you like. But, you know, there are a lot of choices. Yeah, exactly. And I tell people, you know, the way I, I break it down in simple terms is that wine is like pizza toppings. Like everyone has a preference. You might not you think of it right away. You walk in, but you you have a preference. It's like, are you, do you like pineapple on pizza or do you not? Like you know, in general, if you're going to, or you've, I'm sure you've had something before. And if you don't, a lot of times you can give context to someone. Like, oh, I've had X wine from somewhere else, or you know, I really like whatever I've tried. Some bottles, or you know, if you can give some context, you know what I mean. Um, I think that's the largest kind of just indicator for what you might like or don't like. And to me, that you know, it should be fun. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be stressful. So it should be a, a, a fun thing, if anything. You step in this direction, and I'm going to let you get yourself canceled right here. You brought up pineapples on pizza, man. Is that a, a go, <laughs> or is that is that a, a hanging criminal offense? I'm fine with it. I don't. I don't reach for it. I don't. I never order it but if it's on the pizza and it's there and i'm hungry i'm definitely going to eat it but okay. it's not a thing that i reach for so yeah there's and there are a lot of wines like that too like there, there's plenty of wines out there like yeah if it's there i know i will be fine with it for lack of a better term but there are other wines same thing that i'm not going to go out of my way to buy because it's not my you know top of the list personal preference but that's just me yeah, I think the pizza analogy is perfect. That if somebody really was, you know, their favorite was pizza with anchovies and you never had pizza before, and you might have them like, oh my God, that's terrible. Why would anybody ever want to eat that? But you're like, oh, hey, like yeah. I've had pizza and I just like cheese. Like, okay, we're going to give you something a little more plainer. They're like, oh, I like it with pepperoni. You know, so like different things like that. So I think that's good. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And I tell people the exact same thing when they're in there, especially if people don't know what they like and try to figure out out where they are at kind of in the, what I call the wine spectrum. Some people can say, you know, I like big, bold. I like heavy, whatever. I don't like sweet. If you can, that's great. If you can't just give a little bit of context here about um, where you think you might be. And then we can, we can drive and we can navigate. We can figure it out. We'll get to some good stuff eventually. And I always tell people, we're going to find eventually what you do like. If there's something on the list along the way that I know you're going to like somewhere, we just got to find it. So yeah. And the best part is you're just tasting wine the whole time. Like it's really like a win-win here. Like even yeah. Yeah, even exactly. the, the worst yeah. wine is still pretty good. And you're like, oh, you know what? Not my not my bag, but like let's just try another one. It's not like you're you're forced here trying different pizza toppings. Yeah. And you that's know? a large part of figuring out what you do or don't like, especially if you've never been to you know a wine tasting or other wineries. It's very much okay to say, I don't know exactly what I like or don't like, but fortunately along the way somewhere, we can help you figure it out. You know, especially at Hosmer Winery, fortunately, because we have everything from dry and sweet and red and white, et cetera. So there's 
there's always somewhere to find something that you do like um, in our case. So that's that's a, that's always the fun part for me to figure out, help people figure out what they like. It's a puzzle and you're going to solve it. I'm on board for that. Can you give me, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a bad puzzle to, to solve. Can you just give me like a high level, like <laughs> what is the winemaking process? Like when does that start in the year? How long does that go on for? Well, it kind of depends on the wine first off. So not all wines are, you know, kind of at the exact same time, fortunately. But in our case, I think the first step is to to know how young the vines are. If they are young, planted the past few years, they're not going to be ready to make essentially good wine yet. So for wine vines, wine grapes, it takes a few years to have a viable crop that's going to make a good wine. A, you have to have planted your vines or be getting fruit from someone with mature vines going back quite some time. In general, a lot of it is very much just waiting. So you have to be, you know, really busy in terms of the winemaking. For us at Hosmer, in our case, the first vines that we planted were 51 years ago and making wine 38 years. And there's that gap there because originally we were just farmers. Um, we were just growing grapes selling them to other people and then after that started making wine so there are a lot of different things to be doing in the vineyard uh, pruning it's very, very much like if you had a large house or, or estate with lots of yard work and garden and then once you get closer to this time of year which you know the fall that's when you start to pick grapes for different things so as an example if we were going to be making a let's say we're making a sparkling wine if we were going to be picking grapes for sparkling wine, we'd pick them earlier than we would pick the grapes for regular still wine. And usually, not all the time, but more often than not, earlier than red grapes. But there's some, depending on the grape, that you're going to be picking a little bit later. In our case, at Hosmer, we picked our grapes for our sparkling wines probably a few weeks ago, probably about three weeks ago. So in mid-September or so. And then... And we've also picked some Pinot Noir as well that we'll be getting to later in October and some possibly into November, depending on the weather. And then after that, it's off to the races, depending on the wine. You kind of you start to essentially process it right away. You're going to be crushing it. You might press it right away. You're immediately going to put it into either a, a tank or some type of vessel or, or container. It's going to start fermenting. And then it's going to go through essentially different fermentations along the way. And eventually, you know, depending on the wine, to essentially filter it, make sure it's going to be a, a clean product coming out. And all along the way, everywhere from the vineyard all the way up to the very end product, the, the farmers, the winemakers, you know, the science behind the wine, they are essentially running numbers, checking acidity uh, for the pH in a wine, um, it gets very sciencey, technical along the way to know how well everything is going along the way. So just to give you a little bit of context, a friend of mine who owns a vineyard this past weekend, I helped him pick some grapes for Chardonnay, for Riesling, for Gruner Veltliner, and one more, a bunch of different white grapes. And we weren't picking them for wine yet. We were just taking samples to collect the statistics on them. So he was going to go take them back to his lab and he was going to check um, the sugar on them, the acidity on them, and see when he thinks he's going to be picking them in a few weeks. 
or if maybe in a week or two. So everything before the actual winemaking process happens in the vineyard as farmers, really, to know what the end product is going to be doing basically later on in the future. So there's a lot behind the scenes from the the agricultural, the farming side of things that is very, very much, you know, not always at the, the forefront of what you might see at a winery, but that's a, a huge part of, you know, if, if you own the vineyards, if you own the vines, the land, that's a huge part of the, the, the winemaking process too. These labs, are they on site or are like everybody sending them off to the same place? Um, most people have them on site, usually just a little office and they're different, basically different little tools that you yeah, that you can take that will measure the bricks. But the bricks is just going to be the, the level of the amount of sugar in a grape at the current time. And then same thing, you can check what the acidity is and you can also check what the pH is. Essentially to know the current level of the numbers of that grape at one given time. And then from there, you generally know where you want each grape or each wine to be. So I'll be able to say, not me, you don't want me making wine, trust me. <laughs> um, but luckily I know a lot of winemakers. So you be, they would be able to say, I'm going to you know, give it a few days. I'm going to check again. Might check in two days, might check in four days. And then from there, they would have a good sense of when they want to pick those grapes. And then it's off to the races in terms of, like I said, starting the actual winemaking process. All right. So we just recapped the the winemaking process. It is a years-long process before you even start making wine. You have to make sure the, the grapes are developed and that they're... So how long is it's like the minimum? Like you don't want to put out a bad wine, you know, that can ruin your reputation. So like what is a good time frame to then start developing into, or is this part of the fun of it of like, oh, hey, we made a bad batch, yeah. but we get to drink it here and we're just going to keep going. Yeah. So for most grape vines in general, it usually take three years for it to be vi- essentially viable and you know good enough, for lack of a better word, to make a real legitimate wine with. So for you're talking three years and then from that, the first vintage and, and, then, and then depending on the wine, you know, it's probably not going to come out for a couple of years. So in terms of going from planting to an actual finished wine that you can drink, you're at at least five years or so. Oh, wow. So what would uh, the viability for a business, like, is this just business loans they're surviving off? I don't even know if you know this, but they're surviving off our business loans here. Are you selling other grapes or just using part of the farmland? So it kind of depends on the, on the, the winery and their setup. So for us, you know, we're we are fortunate that we are in a state vineyard and a state winery. And when I say a state, that simply means that we own all of our own land, obviously, and all of our own vines. So everything that we make wine from is grown right outside our doors, and we have about seventy or so acres planted um, just for grapevines. We also sell a lot of fruit to other people. So hypothetically. If I were wanting to start my own brand or winery or other, you know, label, basically, I could buy grapes from Hosmer if I wanted to, or a bunch of other growers. You know, if I wanted to buy grapes from somewhere else in the world or somewhere else in the country, I could do that and start making wine right away if I had the facility to make wine somewhere. And similar to other things, you know, let's say you're a a baker out there, you want to go to a different location, a co-op and make your product somewhere, just kind of rent out the space. There are a bunch of other places like that for wine too. So people share spaces if they want to, if they don't want to go all in and buy all the production stuff. 
So hypothetically, if I wanted to, I could make wine somewhere else and get grapes from someone else and start making wine, you know, tomorrow if I wanted to type of thing. But it really kind of depends on your setup if you're a winery, if you own the fruit, if you own the land, and then if you have all the right tools and equipment and containers and vessels and everything to actually make, you know, wine with. So it's a whole big process, really. That's interesting. You're saying about, I guess, like outsourcing the grapes and then bringing them in. We met and, you know, told you we live in New Jersey and South Jersey, and there's not too many great wineries around here. The very popular ones don't really suit my wife and I's taste buds. They're very, very fruity. They tend to like, and not, they tend not to use a lot of them with, with grapes. They're like, oh, this is our apple wine. It's like, oh my God, that's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) And they just opened a winery up the street from us last summer, I think in August. And we went there around Christmas. They'd like Santa or whatever. So we brought the kids and we're drinking the wine. I was like, wow, this is really good. And then, you know, like half an hour into being there, I was like, wait, how did they make the wine here? Like this is, this just opened. And if you read the back of the bottle, it was so carefully worded that you're like, you know, you know, it was hard to to discern where the the grapes came from. And you're like, well, I know they're not from here, but then like the, the bottle alludes to that. But so that's pretty fascinating that you can start your business and then, you know, have something viable and functional while also developing your own product to then bring in. Yeah, I guess you run that risk of you know, maybe turning people off or turning people off. I mean, hey, this is great wine. And then five years later, like why their wine goes so bad? Like, well, you know, they weren't their grapes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you, I mean, you can very well make a good wine from grapes from somewhere else. It kind of just depends what you're looking for too. Some people want a wine from the fruit that you can see right outside the door. Some people just want a good wine. Like if you go, you know, there are plenty of places in, even in New York state or, Pennsylvania, all over the country, really, that get grapes from somewhere else. For the most part, in the U.S., when you're reading a label, it, it has to say somewhere on the bottle where those grapes are from. So for us, we are basically what's called a viticulture area called Cayuga Lake. Um, that's the lake that we're on. There's another one, I think, like Seneca Lake. So a lot of producers that we sell grapes to, if they buy our grapes on their label, they simply have to put Finger Lakes, which is fine. But to give you an example, let's say there's a there's a winery in New Mexico and they have some of their own grapes. They also buy a lot of grapes from other people all over the country. So they truck in grapes from Washington, Oregon, California, maybe Idaho. On the front of some of their wines, it just says American wine. They, they don't they don't specify that it's from you know Washington or California Oregon because they're getting grapes from everywhere it's not just one place um, so all I have to say is American that's it that the grapes were from somewhere somewhere in America they could be from Florida for all we know um, but so somewhere on the label that has to say where those grapes came from so we are fortunate in that we have great land to make great wine. And we, you know, it's all our own fruit on Cayuga Lake. So on our labels, you'll always see what's called the uh, the viticulture area, American viticulture area, the, the AVA, which is Cayuga Lake. So that's one thing to be aware of kind of when you're looking at a wine to know where it's from. And, you know, that's it's it's different in different parts of the world. But if we're talking about American wine, that's kind of a big thing to, to be looking at, um, A, if it matters to you. But, you know, it's all just... Uh, Hopefully it's good wine, no matter where it's from. That's the goal, right? So, yeah. 
how did you get in into this? How did you like out of college? And you said you were writing a little bit like for wines, and that was just your passion. You know, I I I largely kind of fell in love with it just by function of being here and being around it. I went to Cornell in Ithaca, New York, and I also worked at the the hospitality school, the school of hotel administration there. And there are also some really good wine co- courses there, even courses online for, you know, wine certificates, basically. And, you know, ever since I was, like I said, legally able to, you know, a large part of what we did was just going to wineries, drinking the local wine, seeing what we liked. And don't get me wrong, when I was 21, my taste in wine was terrible. Like it was just, nobody has great taste in wine when they're 21, right? Um, it was just, you know, there's, it was just terrible. I'm sure there was tons of sugar in it. It was just nothing that I would drink right now. Um, but I think a large part of it was just being around it so much. And then more and more, I got more involved with different things. I was always, my, my, my degree is largely writing in title. So I, I, I was very much able to grow to write about it comfortably once I knew more about wine, especially local wine. So it was just a large part of just kind of being in the area in the entire region. There are probably almost 200 producers of wine and not everybody has a winery, but well over a hundred people have a physical brick and mortar, you know, winery, probably close to 150. So it's a very much, it's very much a large part of just the local kind of culture local economy, business in general. So it's a it's very much a part of the Finger Lakes in this part of upstate New York. There aren't too many people around here who don't have kind of some connection either with somebody or, you know, through somebody to to something in the wine industry around here. So it's uh it's it's very much just a part of the the local culture to me. I think it's a really cool town as you're coming through. And, you know, Ithaca College and then Cornell is there. So a little bit of a college town going on. And then it's right on the lake. And as you're going up, I'm going to butcher the, the name. The Taganok Falls are right there as you're coming yeah. up the lake and up towards yeah. your property. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's just crazy that like a place like this exists in general. And then, you know, this is like your own little secret. Like I'm not that far away from you guys. I never heard, you know, how great it was or like as a college option to go there. Like these people are pretty lucky. It seems like a pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, pretty cool area to grow up in. And you're not getting like the lake effect snow. So it's not like the lake, like the Great Lakes. It's not changing your climate there. So that seems like another bonus for you. Yeah, we get a very, we get a, occasionally we'll get a very small amount of lake effect, kind of depending on the winds of the current storm, but other parts of the region in general, even just an hour away or so in Syracuse and Rochester, they get a lot more of the lake effects, you know, kind of depending where you are. But we are fortunate with the Finger Lakes in that they are so deep that they essentially help keep the region warmer. It's a lot more manageable for growing grapes because those deep Finger Lakes keep the region warmer. It helps create a, a nice warm standard across the line to, to be able to have you know, a wine growing region. So we really need the depth and the warmth of those finger lakes to be able to make good wine. You know, if we were either east or west or a different direction, we wouldn't have the right climate to to be able to make good wine. That's fascinating because when 
I was at your tasting and, you know, at the winery and I was bringing up, you know, you were talking about large regions. You're like, oh, this is from France and this is from, you know, Germany and everything. I was like, all right, well, New Jersey to the Finger Lakes is much shorter distance than France in general. We're not getting very specific in where in France this is. But now, you know, knowing that the lake provides that much of an atmosphere or like a a check and balance kind of, that it's just creating its own, I don't know, creating its own weather. I think that's, you know, somebody will. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's true. So it's it's uh, so in the weather world and the wine world, it's known as a microclimate, and then you can dial down even further and be a mesoclimate, like all these very very small, basically hubs or canopies. You have the larger climate of the region, and then you can dial down even more, even by you know a quarter of a mile or an eighth of a mile, even less in terms of how different the weather will be. So, and that for, for growing wine grapes, that's everything. If you know a vineyard three miles south of you is measurably always three degrees warmer than everywhere else, you will be able to grow completely different grapes, wine grapes, if you want to be able to make wine. So even those few degrees different, winter or summer, that's huge if we're talking about wine grapes. So it's a, it's a huge advantage that we have. And a lot of people often don't really understand kind of the science behind it. But I think the biggest thing to know is that the depth of the Finger Lakes basically helps keep the entire region a little bit warmer. It's a great advantage that we have and I'm fortunate for as well. So definitely nice but to have. I think that's fascinating because as you go to the different wineries, you know, no two wines taste the same. So it's like, oh, why did I like this place more than the one that's right down the street? Now we talked about the age of the vines and things that they're doing, and and you know there's grower secrets or you might have, but you know that's fascinating that just by like an eighth of a mile or just a little bit of a difference that it's changing the grapes so much. So it's kind of like an advantage that no two wineries are the same, and then you know, you guys can all thrive in your own individual areas of like oh we offer this and this is why it's different than you know this one up here. Yeah, yeah, it's a there's a ton that actually goes into the end product of the wine that you have to know ahead of time. Even things so much as like the soil that it's grown in. So, you know, if we have soil that is mostly rocky limestone or soil that is mostly um, shale or mostly sand, mostly clay, all of that, A, tells us the types of vines, the types of grapes we should likely be planting or want to plant, but then also changes the end product of the wine. But then after that, you know, it's it depends on the farming, depending on what you're doing along the way, depending on when you're picking. And then after that, the next part is going to be how you're making the wine. So not everybody makes the same wine the same way. You know, somebody who makes, let's say, a Cabernet Franc or a Cabernet Sauvignon, you know, they have the grapes. Then they need to decide, is everything going to be in a barrel? Is it going to be American oak? Is it going to be French oak? Is it going to be both? Is it going to be in steel? Or is it going to be in concrete? I mean, so you got to figure out how you want to do things along the way. And then kind of like making a recipe, you know, you have to decide, am I going to use a certain type of yeast strain, which is going to change the flavor of it? Am I going to be needing to add sugar for anything? Am I going to need to add acid for anything? So you go to a lot of wineries, you'll see bags of um, tartaric acid, bags of sugar, different lines of walls of different yeast strains, about a hundred different barrels of different types of oak from different places. Some places have different vessels, like I said. So everything 
from the soil when you start to the very end product of even going down to do I filter the wine or do I not at the end changes the end product for me and you who are drinking the wine. So there's so many little things behind the scenes to get you or to get me that one nice glass of wine that we like, that we enjoy. So it's all a, a big recipe. You really need to kind of dial in for making good wine. A typical barrel, how many bottles of wine can that produce? That's a great question. I'm drawing a blank on how many. So right, the, I'll come the up there with an empty bottle. Is, we'll both go through and we'll see how many we can fill and drink. <laughs> we'll check them off on the board. That sounds like a, that sounds like a great weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Straight from the barrel. So it, it depends on the, the barrel. There are a bunch of different sizes. So a lot of places use French oak. And then after that, the biggest would, would be American oak. And then you have different size formats. Some are um, X number of liters. Some are a smaller amount. And then you have even smaller ones. And then you have different vessels as well. So it all kind of depends on the setup of the winery. Yeah. So there's, there's always a different kind of idea behind it. Some people know, I'm only going to put this in a larger format barrel because they want to essentially breathe differently than a smaller format barrel. So I'm not sure. I should, I'm drawing a blank on the amount because I'm used to thinking of it in terms of liters or gallons, but it, it's a lot more than it looks like. When you see a barrel, you're like, that's not that much wine. But then when you actually go to bottle it, I go, that's, that's a lot of wine. <laughs> so more bottles, more bottles are running out. It's deceiving. Yeah, just keep bottling. Yeah. <laughs> It's very deceiving um, when you actually see the, you know, the barrels up close and personal. Yeah. Do you barrel everything on site and you're storing it there as it's maturing? Uh, for us, we do. We are fortunate in that we have everything on site, all of our vineyards, all of our equipment, tractors, bottling, barrels, tanks, and then just literally just across the street where you were, the, the tasting room, which is a 200-year-old barn that was converted to be the tasting room. So everything that we do is directly on site, but not everybody, you know, else in the world has the same setup. Like I was saying earlier, if you were like part of like a, a co-op winery type of thing, you could easily make the wine somewhere else and then have just a tasting room. Like let's say you're going somewhere and they have, you know, quote unquote, like urban tasting room in the middle of a city. It's essentially you're just going to, you know, their, their own wine bar of sorts, but they would make the wine somewhere else because you need all that tank and barrel space off site somewhere. And the barrels have to be climate controlled, I'm assuming, like warehouse or wherever you're keeping them. Like that has to be kept at a certain temperature. Yeah, exactly. And then it also depends on the wine as well. So, you know, if you're starting the fermentation of wine, most winemakers are going to want it to be around a certain temperature. So, yes, it has to be climate controlled. And it also depends on the wine. So, that's a big step that you don't want to mess up because you find out the hard way later um, that, oh, that wasn't at the right temperature. And then you screwed up that whole. Vintage, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's not great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is the busy season for you up there? I, I know there's the bu the busy for the growing and for you know the you, you, you're picking the grapes and doing all that stuff. What's the busy tourist season? So busy tourist season always the fall for us. Summer is pretty much right behind the fall. A lot of times people assume it's the summer just because people are on vacation or kids are out of school, etc. But for us, in the Finger Lakes in general, fall, October, September, um, and then after that, the months before are pretty much the second and third and fourth busiest. But October is always the craziest for the entire winery. 
not just the tasting room. So a lot of people are coming up for vacation, fall foliage, leaf peepers. Um, I like leaf peepers. That's hikers, a fun term. Leaf peepers. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of peepers. So October is huge. But then on top of that, it's also the busiest time in the vineyard and the winemaking side because they are picking almost every day. And then that's the, you know, this prime time harvest right now. So I was at the winery yesterday. I'll be there tomorrow. And it's prime time for picking, prime time for making wine. It's prime time for tourist busy season. So it, it's always fall for us, closely followed by, I would say, late summer or so. Is the tasting room year round or in the winter it's just not productive enough? Yeah, we're open year round, pretty much every day year round. Of course, you know, the big holidays were closed and occasionally we'll close, you know, the, the week after the last week of the year in December. But for all intents and purposes, all year round, seven days a week, we're there. So we, again, small advantage for us that we are able to do that. A lot of other wineries in the region either close down for the winter or only be open on the weekends. But, you know, we are year round, seven days a week. So come visit. Let us know you're coming. A lot of people come in the snow and don't think we're open and we're just we're just there waiting for them. <laughs> Guys are hanging out. The wine's flowing anyway. You're like, hey, come join us or, or not. We're, yeah. We're I mean, yeah. it's funny. It's, it's actually to me, if you or anybody, you know, hypothetically really wants to kind of get a little bit more personalized experience up close and personal, to me, winter's a great time to come. It's, of course, it's cold. It's New York. You know, it's not California. So, of course, it's going to be cold, but to me, it's, it's a beautiful time. But on top of that, because everything is a lot slower, there are generally fewer people coming through the winery. So, you a lot of people intentionally come in the winter because they want a little bit more time or personalized attention. You know, in the winter, there are only 20 or 30 people coming through in a day. We can do that versus in the fall, we could easily have 200, 300 people coming through in a day. So it's it's completely different time of year if you know that you really want to spend time to to ask more questions. So to me, if you happen to have the flexibility, winter is a great time to come. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. You guys host events there, but do you have anything like that going on? Yeah, yeah, uh, all the time. You know, in in the summer and fall, we have we have live music almost every Sunday. We have outdoor tent space, so it's it's rain or shine to enjoy that come out, have a glass. We also have yoga in the vineyard most Sundays in the summer and fall. Are you And then we have yoga? different, am I? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm far too large <laughs> to be leading yoga, trust me. <laughs> um, I'm over the weight limit. Let's put it that way. Um, but um, I hear it's great, but it, it's, a, it's, a ni- it's a nice option to, to come out and do that. And it, it comes with a glass of wine too. Or most, if you want to do that too, whatever's whatever you want to do is fine. And then on top of that, we have different events throughout the year where we'll bring in a food truck or a local barbecue person, et cetera, more live music. We have Harvest Festival, not this weekend, but the next weekend. We usually have a big anniversary party every year. This year was 38 years making wine. And then just different kind of uh, festival weekends throughout the year to have a little bit more for people to come out and bring the kids, bring the dogs, you know, et cetera, and just have a good time, relax. Yeah. Does like downtown Ithaca ever have like a, a wine festival where, you know, you're setting up 
tents and tables, or whatever, and going down there. They have something like that. Yeah, they don't have a a wine festival per se, but they have different events going on throughout the year. Sometimes a pour out, like there's a, a taste of Ithaca event that goes on every year, and then there's a chili festival. There's a apple festival, so tons of apple everything, you know, a fall type of festival. And then there's always stuff throughout the year. There are things ac- across the entire region, really, from Geneva to Watkins Glen, all the way up to Rochester and Syracuse down in Binghamton that we're always either doing something at or involved with. So a large part of what I do is being at those events. So it's it's very much a, a large regional you know, thing, like I was talking about earlier, in terms of just wine being part of the culture here. So That's cool. So coming up the lake, I'm driving north towards you. And on the lakeside, there are all these driveways that just seem like they're a death trap for people who maybe visited one too many wineries or might have been, or you're not there, or it's icy. Like how many accidents, anyway, like the, the statistics here, not the state police, but how many accidents are people just like driving into the lake or just like, are you hearing about? Fortunately, not too many. So it, it's a beautiful drive. I, it's it's funny to say I love my commute because it's I drive right up the lake going up to the winery and this time of year all the time but it's just it's stunning you're basically in this tunnel this canopy of of trees you can see you know out your window down to Cayuga Lake but yeah there's there are tons of places going straight downhill and then it kind of opens up a little bit and there's a lot more farmland but a lot of those are just personal private homes but a lot of them are also vacation rental homes it's a lot you know the Airbnbs etc that are looking for something that they don't want to stay at a hotel or they want to be directly on a lake, be able to walk out the door in the summer or fall and just be right on the lakeside. So all of those are, I mean, I've been to a lot of those over the years. If friends are doing like a, a week long thing or people are visiting for vacation or even years ago on, on Seneca Lake, I had family come up and we just got a lake house on Seneca Lake, the next lake over same thing. So definitely a, recommended spot as well if you are looking for something too yeah i'm sure the driveway is not that bad but as, as it's coming up my wife and i were both like this isn't like a gradual down like people are coming off at 30 miles an hour <laughs> i guess it, it levels out but on seneca a lot of the wineries are directly on the lake there i guess there's a couple across the street too but it seems like they're growing and then the tasting rooms are on that side too and that's just like your normal hey i'm gonna drive off here you know, at 30 miles an hour and not just fall down hundreds of feet to my death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's happened before, unfortunately. Um, but it can, it is, it is steep. It can be quite dramatic. But again, ironically, and maybe not ironically, well, it fortunately, those slopes, how steep it is, all of that is also really great for wine. <laughs> so if you, if you happen to be, comparing this region to other regions in the world a lot of the other regions are on hillsides or near bodies of water to help them stay warmer all of those slopes they help for drainage they help for airflow so the air going through the grapes down the hillside the drainage natural drainage down a slope to a lakeside or to a river all of those are intentional so people are building vineyards on hillsides on mountainsides on big steep slopes because they want the drainage and they want the airflow and they want that soil. So a lot of times that's why you see all of these vineyards directly on steep hillsides or steep lakesides or along a river, because people know that that's the best for making, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's cool. 
All right. So you're on wild yeah. and sometimes normal. You, you have been the sometimes normal part. You've been the very normal part, just not the title of the show. I have to get <laughs> wild and weird with you for a minute. You said you've been in Finger Lakes region for about 20 years. We went to the Watkins Glen State Park and we were hiking that and we're in the gift shop and their magnet has a Bigfoot on top of it. So this is like, you know, and it's Bigfoot country up the country radio. It's called Bigfoot country, right? So you've got okay. some, I, it's your radio station. I don't know. <laughs> you know but so it's up there and that's like their tag. Hey, listen to Bigfoot country. Have you ever had people come in like, who are like their day hikes? Like, Hey, like I, I saw something like somewhere in the woods or whatever it is. I personally have not, but I will say we do tend to attract the outliers in the region, I think largely because it's very much like still a little bit unknown and a little bit rural. There's still many pockets around here where you are going to lose cell phone reception and not know where to go, basically. So I, I think the people that we tend to attract in general are very much the, let's say, the Bigfoot crowd, Loch Ness Monster crowd, if you will. But I think it's a good place to, to get lost in whether you're looking for Bigfoot or not. Let me put it that way. The Watkins Glen State Park is, you know, I guess, very touristy. Like it's hard to, I guess, get off the path. Like you're just walking along yeah. the gorge. And it's absolutely beautiful. So like definitely yeah. go do that. But the hotel we were staying at, their land backed up. They were able to clear land and a path that would connect to Buttermilk Falls. And back there, like yeah. it is just beautiful. Like you're on a path, but you're also in the middle of nowhere. And yeah, you know, there's steep hills. You know, you could easily slide down, not easily, easily, but you could slide down and you're probably not getting back up without a lot of help. And you're just yeah. completely in the mountains and the woods and just so beautiful. Yeah. No, I, I was hiking about this time last year at Buttermilk Falls, just just outside of Ithaca. And same thing. It was the, the so many leaves have fallen that they essentially covering everything. So luckily I knew where the trail was. But same thing. I, I slipped and fell, um, even though I had been on the, the path you know many times before and i just kind of sat there for a while and just i was like yeah i'm just gonna slip and fall and just stay here for a while um <laughs> and i did i didn't i didn't see anybody for however long i was just basically laying on the ground for and luckily it wasn't a severe sprain or anything but it was it was steep and slippery and there was not anybody coming around for any amount of time so i'm i'm used to that very much used to being out in the middle of nowhere without cell phone reception is, is still the norm up here. Yeah, it's so beautiful up there. And we were hiking in that Buttermilk Falls part. And like you'll run through the woods around here or on trails or whatever. But whatever that made, it is so many leaves and there's so many roots. And I was like, this has to like do something more for you mentally, like exercising than just running on the road where you like space out. And I don't know, people talk about a runner's yeah. high. I'm not much of a runner. There's always a punishment in sports. But people will run yeah. on a road for a long time. And it seems like you can just space out. But if you're running in the woods, yeah. like you have to constantly look down, like, oh, root, root, oh, yeah. slippery leaf, like root, oh, ditch. Yeah. And like that seems yeah. like more of a mental exercise, too. Slippery rock is a very, very common phrase around here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> so when we drove up, it took us I don't know, like four and a half hours or whatever, and we stopped a couple of times. But we had to go uh, just outside of Philadelphia and shoot up and get on 476. And it's just this disaster of going. It's just nonstop traffic for no reason, yeah. any time of the day, and it's horrible. So, and after that, after the first hour, hour and a half, it's just smooth sailing on the highway. So on the way home, we'll like, get past like Scranton or so. You're, it's a oh, straight yeah. shot. It's just to go, yeah. Beautiful and easy. So on the way home, I was like, all right, how can I avoid going back that way? Like I have to be able to get to you know the New York City, New Jersey border there, and I can just take roads home that I know. And I, I'm Google mapping for my hotel, and I was like, oh, I'll just add 20 minutes 
I was like, which is fine. I can make that up on the road and we already made up some time. I was like, but this is all backwards. So we start going. I am in the middle of nowhere. For And every 20 minutes, my Google Maps would add 20 minutes. And I was like, I just want to click <laughs> this and get back on to the, but like, it was too late. I did not pass a gas Rerouting. station for two hours. It was crazy. Yeah. Like really, it's just crazy, but like beautiful back there. And people are all just living at the bottom of a mountain and then overlooking this, this vast beautifulness. I was like, my God, man, you can easily get lost back here or break down. And, you know, there's miles between houses and everything, but you know, yeah. I, you sign up for that. And that's part of the, the beauty of that area is that you have all yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. I, I personally love that. I'm also used to being in the city. Fortunately, you know, I've, I was just in down New York city two weekends ago for Hosmer. We were, you know, we had some events going on there, but you know, at the same time, you know, like I said, I've been here 20 years. So it's nice that, you know, I know where the slippery rocks are on the trail in general, <laughs> but it is, it's a beautiful area to be in everything from hiking, not just the wine and cider and, and beer, et cetera. It's just, you know, in general, it's a beautiful place to be. So it makes sense that there are so many tourists coming up all year. So that, that also helps our side of things from a winery that is, you know, a large part of the people are tourists who haven't been here before. So definitely no complaints there. It's a beautiful part of the country. I don't know too many other places like that that have things are on top of each other. Like Ithaca is like a very small city. You know, it's like talking about New York City, yeah. like that's that's crazy. This is very small, a couple blocks big, and then very easily you're into the you know more open land and and things like that. It's just beautiful there. But it's also amazing how much you can pack in for the distilleries, the wineries, the the hard cider, the breweries, and you're also not on top of each other. Like there's yeah. little pockets for everybody. And then, you know, you're talking about all the land that that Hosmer owns for for their winery and some of these other places. But yet every, I don't know, quarter of a mile, there's a, like a different offshoot of somewhere else that you can go. And it's just yeah. very beautiful and, and things to do up there. Yeah, there's a ton to do. It's every, everything from not just the cider, wine, beer, distilleries. If you happen to like any of that, there's just so many things. There's a cider trail. There's also a cheese trail, <laughs> breweries. There's so many more. And of course, there are lots of wineries too, like we talked about already. But there's uh, on top of that, there are lots of other things that you can be doing either, you know, as as families or just adults, whatever you want to do. There's there's always something to do. So it's a another nice pool to be able to come up and just relax. So yeah, yeah, that's so cool. I need to stagger my my trips up there more, like once a year. I need to figure out how to get that that second, you know, maybe in the April and then the October, just like every six months. But it is just, you know, it's our favorite place. I don't know how we didn't know about it sooner. We had some friends like, oh, we were up here, and we started looking, and then but you know, yeah. picked up and I buy it. They have like the hotel, like one of those big touristy maps of of all the yeah. lakes and the breweries and everything. You open it up, and it's just like this vomit of all these. I'm like, all of these things are here. Like, yeah. every single dot is like there's a you know, but it, it's crazy. It's beautiful. Well, that's not even all of them. Those that's those are just the people that pay to be on the map. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's <laughs> yeah. a, there are other people not on the map too. We I think we're I think we're on that map, but I hope we're on that map. <laughs> um, but there are so many places that are not even you know on a a wine trail because they're not paying to be part of a wine trail, and then there are places that are not on the map because they didn't pay to be part of the ad the map. And so there are a lot of other places that's kind of nice to quite literally just get lost in. I love when people come in and they say, I don't know where we're going. I don't know what direction we're going. Just tell me where to go, basically. 
it's kind of a throwback to hear people just say, we have no plan. Just tell me where to go because we're so used to, you know, having a route, having a plan, having a Google map, you know, having a reservation somewhere, et cetera, that you're, most people are kind of used to having their days planned out. That's still nice for people to come in and just say, never been here before. We just have me driving by and we're going, I don't know which way we're going. Tell us where to go. <laughs> so really I personally cool like part. Like if you can wake yeah. up at your hotel or wherever you're staying, your Airbnb, you could get a morning hike in if that's what you like to do. And that's that's what we were doing. Yeah. And then we would just Google for the closest winery that also serves food. It's like, oh, let's go have lunch and go here. And then I was like, all right, now we're going north for a little bit. And if we see something, a name that jumps out or whatever it is. And uh, yeah. so we ran, ran into you guys. We're like, man, this place was awesome. But you know, <laughs> you don't have to like Google Maps or, you know, or Yelp reviews or anything. And everything's just, yeah, it's, it's so cool. And it's all right there. And it's not yeah. hard to navigate around. Yeah. Just don't pull in the driveway. Yeah, exactly. Too fast, you end up in the lake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't go downhill. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's a hill for a reason. But, you know, I think the other good part is I tell people, anybody coming into, obviously we're a winery, how's winery. Anybody coming in into a winery is either coming in to taste wine or to buy wine or both to come in and buy and taste. I tell people, like, nobody's coming in to do their taxes, right? Like everybody's coming in to have, fun or buy wine and then have fun um, somewhere else. So fortunately, you know, we want everybody to come in to have a good time because that's why you're there. You know, you're not coming into whatever other boring thing you might be thinking of. So it's also a, a fortunate thing to, you know, to have something that everybody coming through the door is hopefully probably looking forward to. I rarely go into a winery and be like, I'm, I'm not coming here for fun. You know what I mean? So it's a nice advantage too, for sure. Yeah, I think that's a cool thing that you get to be part of people's memories. Like it's like, you know, like we look forward to that trip and like, hey, this is gonna be our great day. We're going out and doing like all this stuff. And it's not like you're going to the winery to, you know, and maybe hey, after work, that's like your little happy hour to meet up with some friends and have a glass of wine, but you're not going to the bar and being like, hey, give me, you know, two shots and a beer and I'm going to forget my troubles. It's like, oh, hey, like what's happening in here? Yeah. And this is a beautiful view. And hey, tell me about your winery. And, and you know, be able to, yeah. You know, and you're very personable. So be able to, you know, put on your personality and make people feel comfortable and, you know, add to their enjoyment that they have. And, you know, I think that's like yeah. super cool. Yeah, exactly. And that to me is like kind of the, that's the fun part. And that's the biggest part that I want people to just have fun. And like when you go anywhere, whether you know about the wine or not, whether you've been there before or not, like I said a minute ago, nobody's going to our winery or anybody else's winery to do their taxes because, that's a well, not what you do at a winery, um, <laughs> but you know it's it, it should be it, wine should be fun, it should be approachable. Anybody should feel welcome to come in and you know belly up to the bar and try see what they like, see what they think, ask questions. We are fortunate in that we are are making a product that a lot of people enjoy, and that's the other fun part of it. Like nobody is, I rarely see people sitting around having a bottle or, or two of wine and not having a good time. You know, most people sitting around having some wine are either a smiling or laughing at something or just enjoying each other's company. Um, so it's nice to be able to be the kind of the first step of that process for a lot of people. Like you said, the good memories for people. Yeah, it's great. And if you're not smiling, having a good time, have another glass and I'll catch up to you. And don't worry, you'll, you'll be having that. Good exactly. Time. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'll find something that you like in a minute and yeah. then we'll smile and have a good time. <laughs> That's, awesome. That's awesome. I really yeah. appreciate your time. Is there something else you want to cover? Is, is there something we've we've missed on our wine journey that, that people need to know about? 
Um, I don't think so. Come up, come visit. Let's go. Where, so know, where can they find help. you? Where can they find Hosmer? What's the best thing to do? Our website, social media, Instagram, Facebook. Um, everything is kept up to date. Like I said, we're open year round. But if you happen to be coming by, you're welcome to double check that we're open. But come in, see what you like, see what you don't like. It's fine if you don't like something. But come in, have a good time. Buy some wine, hang out, ask questions, have some fun. You know, just take it easy, relax. That's what we do. Sweet. We love it. I'll put all your links in the show notes so people can find you. I sincerely appreciate your time coming on. Thank you so much. And I hope to see you in April, but if not, I'll see you in September. Let me know. We'll see you soon. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. everyone that was our show don't forget to leave a review on itunes spotify or wherever you stream your podcast like and follow the podcast on facebook and instagram to stay up to date in all things wild and weird check out the links in the show notes for more information on our guests the biggest support you can offer is to tell everyone about the podcast until next time